This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the mental health and personality factors that may be at work in the Ezra McCandless case? McCandless was convicted of murdering Alex Woodworth. So first I'll look at the background of McCandless. I'll move to a timeline of the crime, and then I will analyze the mental health and personality factors. Ezra McCandless was born in Stanley, Wisconsin on October 6, 1998. Her name at that time was Monica Kay. McCandless did not have contact with her biological father, and her mother was only 14 years old when McCandless was born. McCandless would be adopted at age four by her mother's boyfriend. She reported that there was frequent arguing in that family. McCandless changed her name to Ezra McCandless when she was in high school. She was inspired by Chris McCandless, the individual featured in the book and movie Into the Wild. McCandless graduated from high school and went to college but she dropped out and moved back to Stanley, Wisconsin to live with her mother. McCandless would meet a 33-year-old man named Jason Mengel in a coffee shop. In August of 2017, they moved in together shortly after meeting. While in the relationship with Mengel, McCandless met a 23-year-old man named Alex Woodworth at a bar. The two connected. Woodworth appeared to be high in openness to experience. He wanted to eventually earn a Ph.D. in philosophy. McCandless discovered that she was pregnant with Mengel's child not long after this. She would have an abortion. She said that she felt sad, ashamed, and isolated. The relationship with Mengel suffered. Not long after this, she started having sex with Alex Woodworth. She did not tell Mengel. In February 2018, McCandless spent some time with a man named John Hansen. He was a friend of Jason Mengel. She became drunk, and the two had sex a few times. Now, around the same time, McCandless and Mengel continued to have sex, and after one of these encounters, when McCandless was sleeping, Mengel took her iPod, apparently her phone didn't work, and he read messages on there. These messages indicated that she was having a relationship with John Hansen and Alex Woodworth. Mengel called Hansen, they argued, eventually all these people argued about this in person. McCandless would eventually tell Mengel that Hansen had assaulted her. Mengel went to the police, but Woodworth did not support McCandless's story. So apparently she told Woodworth that the sex between she and Hansen was consensual. So the case did not go anywhere. The police let it go. Now, as far as trying to explain her relationship with Woodworth, McCandless tried to say that Woodworth took advantage of her. But Mengel ended the romantic relationship with McCandless, although the two kept talking. So it's not really clear what was happening in that relationship. McCandless did move out of the residence they shared. She moved in with her mother in Stanley, Wisconsin. McCandless believed that Woodworth was responsible for the dissolution of her romantic relationship with Mengel or whatever was happening again with that relationship. Woodworth made it worse. McCandless believed that Woodworth hurt that relationship. She texted Woodworth saying he should never talk to her again. McCandless was desperate to reconnect with Mengel she sent him journals that contained information about how remorseful she felt about betraying him. 
Mengel refused to see McCandless in person, but that didn't stop McCandless from showing up on March 22 of 2018 at a coffee house where Mengel was. Mengel found the behavior of McCandless at that time to be abnormal. He said that she had a fire in her eyes. McCandless said that she was going to meet Woodworth at his residence in order to return some items that she had of his. Now, they had not communicated since she told him to never contact her again. Due to this unusual behavior, Mengel used his bicycle to make his way to the residence of Woodworth. He noticed that a vehicle owned by McCandless, a Chevy Impala, was parked in front and the engine was still running. A neighbor called the police because they saw Mengel riding his bike around the area, sitting at a nearby bench, and pacing in front of the house. Mengel entered the house of Alex Woodworth before the police arrived. He wanted to see what was going on there, but of course then the police showed up. After briefly questioning the trio, the police were convinced that everything was fine, and they left. McCandless and Woodworth climbed into her vehicle. She was in the driver's seat, and he was in the passenger seat. They would drive away. About three hours later, at 4.15 p.m., McCandless showed up at the house of a farmer named Don Sipple. She said that she had been attacked, and she did not know her name. She wanted the services of a physician. She was cold, her clothes were torn, she was covered in mud, and she had a few superficial injuries and the word boy scratched into her arm. She was taken to the hospital and questioned by the police. She asked for Jason Mengel when she was at the hospital. Initially, she told the police that she could not remember much of anything. The police were unable to find Alex Woodworth. They returned to Don Sipple's farm to see if they could figure out where McCandless had come from. Eventually, they would find her vehicle. It was stuck in the dirt. There they found Alex Woodworth was dead. His body was hanging out of the driver's side of the vehicle from the rear door. He had been stabbed 16 times. Because this was an important development in the case, the police brought this topic up with McCandless. She now had a burst of memory power. Eventually, she would admit that she stabbed Woodworth, but she said it was in self-defense. Her initial story was that Woodworth had attacked her with a knife, and she was able to wrestle that knife away from him by grabbing the blade. Later at her trial, she'd offered another explanation of what happened. She claimed that after Woodworth started attacking her with that knife, she struck him in the groin with her knee. He dropped the knife, she picked up the knife, and she killed him with it. All of this happened in the back seat of her car. The problem is that the vast majority of the blood at the scene was actually outside of the vehicle. In addition, in her initial story, she said the attack happened in a different location from where the vehicle was located. Woodworth did not have defensive wounds, and McCandless did not have anything but superficial cuts on her hands and a few other minor injuries. McCandless was charged with first-degree intentional homicide in April of 2018. Her trial would start in October of 2019. The prosecution had a fairly straightforward argument. McCandless was upset with Woodworth, blaming him for the loss of the relationship with Mengel. The knife used in the attack belonged to McCandless. She lied about what happened. She had taken the phone from the scene. She had all these magical memory problems, and then her memory came back conveniently when she had to explain suspicious circumstances. And she eventually admitted that she's the one who scratched the word boy into her arm. The defense argued that Woodworth was dangerous. He enjoyed dominant sex. He wrote essays that had 
themes of negativity, darkness, and depression. Woodworth was upset with McCandless because she rejected him. McCandless killed him in self-defense. McCandless had access to guns, so why would she kill anyone with a knife? After all the testimony, we see the prosecution really did make their case beyond a reasonable doubt. McCandless was convicted of first-degree intentional homicide in November of 2019. In February of 2020, she was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 50 years. So that would be 2070. She will be 72 years old when she has her first chance of getting out of prison. On Instagram, she posted an image of a letter. One part indicated that her battle for justice had only just started, so it appears as though she will try to appeal her case. Now moving to the mental health and personality factors. As I mentioned, McCandless testified at her trial. Her testimony went on for hours. We find out a few things during her testimony and from the other testimony at that trial. A few years before the death of Woodworth, she identified using masculine pronouns, but then moved more toward feminine pronouns. This explains the reference to the word boy. After accusing Woodworth of cutting that into her arm, she admitted that she did it herself. She said she did it so she could remember what happened, because that was the name that Woodworth used to call her. I guess using that name would remind her of him, and then thinking of him would take her to the attack. I don't know, it seems like a suspicious reason to do that, but that's what she said. I guess it's a good thing that Woodworth did not refer to her using a name like Maximus Decimus Meridius. She would have run out of space on her arm. As far as her mannerisms in general, she had an unusual way of expressing herself considering the circumstances. She didn't really seem to have much remorse. The only real emotion seemed to be when she was sentenced to life in prison. She appeared to be relaxed, calm, not highly reactive. She was looking at all this distressing stimuli and handling it pretty well. She used words even though she didn't know what they meant. For example, she referred to college as secondary school. In general, she appeared to want to impress the jury with how intelligent she was. She made many references to philosophy and referred to herself as an old soul. She referenced how her love with Mengel was an ancient love so powerful it scared both of them. We get this image of a young woman who perhaps has high openness to experience. She was an artist. She liked philosophy. She liked abstraction. There is also this sense that she believed in destiny and that she was special in some way. The purpose for her life was greater than the purpose for ordinary people. Her ability to love romantic partners was exceptional. Nobody could really understand her. She clearly did read a lot of philosophy and had some knowledge of art, but she was pretending to have an exceptional understanding of those subject matters, which is easy to do when talking about topics that are open to interpretation. Often people who want to brag about their superior intellect choose topics that are flexible like philosophy. Nobody can really prove them wrong. I guess the good news for McCandless is that she has a lot of time on her hands now, so she can actually become more proficient at philosophy. She can study for, well, at least 50 years. I found it interesting how she described the sexual relationship with Woodworth. This was a key part of her defense, that he was dominant and aggressive. He was into sexual activity that frightened her a bit, and she was really just unaware of how any of that stuff worked. Now, this is certainly possible, but the way she danced around certain words, 
trying to seem innocent and unaware, did not really seem realistic, like she was a little angel who was offended by all these suggestions and actions of Woodworth. It's interesting because on the day he was killed, when the police came out to talk to her, again, someone had called the police because of Mangle's behavior, McCandless did not seem distressed at all. She didn't seem afraid of Woodworth. She told the police that everything was fine. This case reminds me a bit of the Jody Arias case and the case of Shana Hubers. They both tried to vilify the people they murdered by pointing out that the victim had sexual desires. McCandless initiated the conversations with both Mengel and Woodworth, so the first time they met, she was the one that approached them. So we see she is assertive and outgoing. She engaged in multiple sexual relationships, and it appeared as though the relationships progressed to that stage fairly quickly. It's like she had difficulty resisting that initial phase of romance, that exciting, passionate phase. Many people struggle with that. Some people habitually just try to enter in relationships to get that experience. So they're with a person for, say, a month to six months, and that's it. They move on to the next person to get that excitement back. Despite those multiple relationships, she did seem to have a keen interest in, specifically, Jason Mengel. A mental health professional for the defense testified that McCandless had post-traumatic stress disorder with dissociative symptoms, specifically depersonalization and derealization. McCandless described this experience as zoning out, which is a common way people describe dissociative symptoms. The professional also diagnosed her with persistent depressive disorder with anxious distress. This disorder, PDD, is conceptualized as a chronic version of major depressive disorder, MDD. With MDD, the depression is episodic, it comes and goes. With PDD, the depression remains for at least two years. So it's almost like having depression, but it just stays there. It's a heavy weight that is with the person most of the time for a long period of time. It's worth noting that a person with PDD can still have major depressive episodes, so that depression can become worse at certain times. PDD is thought to have the same etiological mechanisms as borderline personality disorder, so it is believed the same factors may lead to both disorders. I don't recall borderline personality disorder being mentioned at all in this specific case. The defense team for McCandless was originally going to use an insanity defense, but they changed their mind. So it's really not clear what happened in the situation. She was evaluated, there was a result, but it seems as though they didn't feel they could make an effective insanity defense. So what happened in the case of Ezra McCandless? Well, only McCandless knows for sure, but it seems as though she just could not regulate her emotions in the context of romantic relationships. She was all over the place. She wanted to have everything. Lying seemed to come fairly easily for her, but she wasn't good at it. What's really confusing about this case, though, is the motive. If we look at other cases where young women murdered their boyfriends, like Jody Arias and Shayna Hubers, who I mentioned before, the perpetrators tend to kill the romantic partner they wanted to be with, not some other man who they did not want to be with. The prosecution in the McCandless case thought that McCandless killed Woodworth to get him out of the way so that she could have a relationship with Mengel. Maybe McCandless was thinking that if she killed Woodworth, Mengel would kind of change his whole opinion about her. Or maybe she thought that he would feel 
sympathy or empathy for McCandless. Like she had this tragic loss. She was attacked by this vicious assailant and deserves some kindness and understanding. This may have been the motive, but it really doesn't make much sense. I guess it makes more sense than the idea that she really wanted to be with Woodworth. Like, I don't think that's what happened. I think she did kill him to pursue her relationship with Mengel. So this case really is highly unusual. I think at some point, McCandless simply lost control. It's strange how Mengel described her as having fire in her eyes. An employee at the coffee shop also pointed out something unusual. McCandless was not wearing makeup or dressed up, which was out of character for her. It's like she just decided on that day she was going to do whatever she believed was necessary to get what she wanted. Looking at the Arius and Hubris case, we see Arius tried to plan things out somewhat carefully, although, of course, she failed. Hubris simply picked up her boyfriend's gun and shot him, then sort of made up a story to try to explain it afterward, and it wasn't a believable story. I think this is similar to what happened here with McCandless. She took the knife with her. She planned on committing a homicide that day, but hadn't really worked out what her story would be. It might have been that she was thinking there was some other way, like maybe Woodworth would admit to Mengel that Woodworth attacked McCandless, like he would confess in some way, and maybe she wouldn't have to kill him. But it's hard to say. It's hard to know if she had an alternative plan. Like there was something she wanted from Woodworth, potentially, that could have prevented her from killing him. All that remains a mystery. But either way, when she did finally kill him, she hadn't really worked out a story. She did not know how to explain all of the physical evidence in the case. This is a tragic case where two people's lives were lost. McCandless is forever frozen in her identity as a young homicidal perpetrator. The world will move on without her. If she does manage to get out of prison in 2070, the world will be unrecognizable. McCandless is going to have to pay for the decisions she made on that one day for the rest of her life. Every day, the same thing, every day being in her cell, a lot of time to reflect on her poor decision making. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy, sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me. On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? Or just a horrible accident? That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane, you've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Slaycation.